Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Highway to Hoover podcast, a production of SEC Extra over at D1Baseball.com. I'm your host, Joe Healy, joined today by Matt Michaels, Missouri baseball radio color analyst. Lots to talk about with Mizzou. It's been an eventful season for the Tigers so far. There's there's been some good. There's been some stuff that I don't I don't want to say is is bad, but I want to ask Matt a little bit about some of the more some of the more recent results and then what we can glean from that or not. So plenty of stuff to get into. We will do that in just a second. But first, I have to let you know that the Highway to Hoover podcast is presented today and all season by Brock's Gap Brewing Company in Hoover, Alabama. Thanks again to Brock's Gap for being on board with Highway to Hoover this season. Very much uh, looking forward to our continuing our partnership and doing some stuff with them at the SEC tournament. Uh, Matt, first off, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate the invite, Joe, and uh, appreciate that the season is underway. I mean, uh, I was amazed. I saw Kendall tweet that said it was 20 days of the season already, and I feel like it was yesterday that we started, at least the Tigers started down in Arlington. It's nuts that we're like 20% of the season is gone. We, we can say it, things about these teams. It's it's exciting but terrifying at the same time. Yeah, the, the season, I've said this before, the season seems to go from early to late immediately. There's no like middle, it seems. I mean, I guess we're in it now, technically speaking. But yeah, it, it does seem like I just, I get so used to saying it's early, it's early, it's early. And then one day I look up and kind of go, well, not really, you know. <laughs> and and that's why conversations at this time of year are so interesting to me, because we really are at the point of the season where you can start to be a little more confident in making assessments of, of where things are. And so that's uh, hopefully we'll we'll do some of that today. I'll, I'll start as as broad as possible, really. I mean, what stands out to you through three weekends and and then of course midweek um, about Missouri so far this season? Well, I, I think that there was an element of prove it to Missouri all season long from people from the outside looking in, and, and it's because there is another new group. It's kind of a half and half mix of freshmen and returners and transfers from other places. And everybody's being asked to provide their impact. And even some of the players who have been in the program are ones that you haven't seen a lot of. And so there were plenty of question marks and rightly so about what will that performance look like? And of course they were thrown into basically a Daytona 500 type weekend going down to Arlington and playing in the college baseball showdown. And I thought they acquitted themselves very well there. I think that some of the depth that I and other people around the club had seen in the lead up to the season is showing out. Uh, certainly from an offensive standpoint, the Tigers are hitting uh, in the 310s as we uh, record this podcast today. And I think that pitching depth, especially in the bullpen, has maybe been even a little bit of a pleasant surprise in terms of the length that you've been able to see some of 
uh, Missouri's relievers go for and the effectiveness that they have. Not that they can't be effective pitchers, but to have some of that depth and length at the beginning of the season from the bullpen has really won them some games. They're going to have to rely on that all season long. But I think that some of the things that you'd say on the on the upside of uh, your projection of where things could be uh, has shown more upside than downside so far. It doesn't mean it's perfect. It doesn't mean it can't get better, but the Tigers are holding their own statistically and in terms of the wins and losses with everybody else in the league. And I I think that's what the club expects from itself. And I I think in the end, that's what provides, I think, a good amount of optimism for what Missouri can do when it gets to those 30 games in the SEC. The two and one weekend to start off in Arlington, which easily could have been three and zero. Frankly, that Oklahoma State game was was there for the taking, and it just you know that's baseball, and it just didn't work out that way. But you know, really good weekend there, and it caught a lot of people, I think, by surprise. And I'll throw myself into that bucket, not because I didn't think it was possible, but because with a team that's constructed the way this Missouri team is, as you allude to, a lot of transfers, a lot of guys being asked to do things they haven't done in a Missouri uniform yet. You just kind of wondered if maybe. That was a little too much of the deep end right off the bat, right, for this group. And yet they go out and acquit themselves very, very well. So while that might have been a surprise on the outside, I'm curious your take on to what extent was that a surprise to those inside the building? Was something like this kind of on the table for as far as what they thought a reasonable result would be on opening weekend? Well, I think that from inside the program, the message was whatever happens in this first weekend is not going to define the entire season which I think is a fair thing to say, you know, there's so much baseball left after you just play three games, no matter what the stage and the bright lights say against three quality big 12 clubs. So I think the whole ball club said to itself, Hey, we're going to take this mantra, whatever happens, that's not going to define who we are and really where we're going to make our hay is when we get into the league. And that's been Missouri's MO for some time now. But I do think that there was certainly a confidence from within the group that they were well put together Everybody on the club seems to love one another. I mean, I've heard from several players about just how together this group is. In fact, Javen Pimentel, who came from Arizona, I had a pregame conversation with him once, and we kind of got to what makes this group special. And he says, you know, I've been on ball clubs that are successful, that have clicks and in-groups and out-groups, and that does not exist with this Missouri team. They're all playing for the club. They're all playing for one another. Some people may have good weeks. Some people may have bad weeks. But in the end, it's going to be one through nine in the lineup and everybody coming out of that bullpen or, or starting on the hill that's going to determine the success of the team. And we have seen contributions up and down, which highlights the depth that I think is the strength of this Missouri team. You're not going to get a huge drop off if uh, you know somebody has to take an off day in the lineup. You have someone to plug and play there. It might not be the one through 13 that say uh, a Florida may think that they have, or certainly LSU thinks that it has, but it's a one through 13 that Missouri is really happy with and that can get the job done and everybody trusts. And so far that's, that's worked to their benefit. This past weekend, and I alluded to this up top, I wanted to ask, dig into this a little bit. They played Texas Southern last weekend. And of course there, there's caveats you can throw in here, whether canceled Friday's game, Saturday becomes a doubleheader. Doubleheaders are notoriously, as you, as you and, and our listeners know, notoriously wonky. They just get weird. Um, but Mizzou had to work pretty hard in that series against Texas Southern. And I think that might've for a team that showed what they showed opening weekend. I think some observers might be a little bit surprised about that. What struck you about that series were that, was it that they were flat? Did Texas Southern come out with a good plan? Because also they, I mean, they hit around Tony Newbeck, who'd been great so far this season. They hit around Rorick Maltrude, who'd been very good this season. 
So where on the spectrum of just kind of played flat baseball or Texas Southern really kind of came with something maybe that we didn't expect, where, where on the spectrum did what you saw last weekend fall? It might be a little bit of both. And I think that everybody was a little bit surprised at how it looked for, for Tony Newbeck in his outing. He did get hit around a little bit. And for Maltrude, too, I mean, he worked four perfect innings at Florida International before giving up a double, and then they removed him from the game. They just didn't want to get too long in his outing. And I think that there was a stretch in which uh, we saw Texas Southern come out with some uh, firepower I think that those bats definitely had a plan and it was to be very aggressive at the dish. And I think that there were a couple moments where they uh, were trying to hunt some fastballs, to be quite honest, and ran into them. And you know what? That's going to happen, right? It'll happen in the SEC, just like it'll happen against Texas Southern. Uh, I thought that, you know, honestly, the Texas Southern Tigers, I thought they could do some damage in the swack with that type of approach, to be quite honest with you. They went around on the base paths. They were they treated that those games against Missouri like they treat games against anyone. And I know they haven't played high-level competition. They've played a lot of non-Division one competition. But I came away a little bit impressed with Texas Southern as much as I did, you know, wondering about the way the pitching went in those outings. But the bullpen righted the ship, as it has very frequently for Missouri in the early season. And it's not like Mizzou's bats really cooled off at all. I mean, they had three good offensive outputs. I mean, eight, eight, and 15 runs. They did the things that they were meant to do. I think that Missouri, you know, they haven't had the sort of gaudy outputs that some other teams in the league have had against competition that you'd say that they have the talent advantage in. But I never feel like this Missouri team has ever felt that they were completely out of a ball game either, that all of a sudden they were hitting the mouth. And I mean, they were down six runs to Texas Southern and they could have felt that they were hitting the mouth. And then they put up a nine run inning and Luke Mann hit a bomb and Jackson Lovich, who's got a lot of raw talent. Uh, coming into this program as a freshman, hit a tank, and all of a sudden, everything was right with the world again. They feel very confident about what they are. They trust that their process is going to work, and it's won them a couple of ball games in the early season, even when they haven't played their best. And there are previous editions of Missouri teams that maybe didn't have the ability to do that, but this one does. It's a good perspective you bring there, too. I mean, Texas Southern plays a specific style. Um, you know, they, they try to create chaos. They do have some physicality, but they're going to run a lot. And, you know, that, that can catch teams on their heels a little bit. And this, this Mizzou team is, is much better than last year's Kansas team. But I use this as an example. They played a couple games at Kansas. And I think it was a midweek series last year and did the same thing with Kansas, you know, where, and, and they may have even gotten a game. I'd have to go back and look, but it was kind of a similar deal. So they are a specific challenge and they are one of the better teams in the SWAC. So there, there is some important some important context there. So I certainly appreciated that. I, I wanted to ask you about Chandler Murphy and your assessment of him so far. I mean, I think going into the season, one of the things I keyed on in on was his ability to be a credible Friday guy for Mizzou who can go up against Carter Holton and Paul Skeens and, you know, at all in the SEC and at least give them a chance to win on Fridays because that's so big in this league. What have you seen from him so far and your, your confidence level that he is that kind of Friday guy? I think he's coming into it. I'm certain that the staff trusts him. He had that job from day one to be the Friday night guy for this club. He earned it in his work in the fall and the lead up in the winter to this season. It, definitely, he has the mix. He has the makeup. He has the stuff. I think that he's been a slower starter in these three starts. Um, certainly came around it um, a little bit better uh, this past weekend where you know he pitched six innings of a seven-inning game, which is some depth 
that uh, the team really needed from him. Uh, the bullpen and the starting rotation was a little bit jumbled against Texas Southern, to be honest. You know, Ian Losey didn't pitch, who had been a, a regular Saturday guy the first two weekends. Javen Pimentel didn't pitch. Uh, I think we're expecting to see Losey this coming weekend against NJIT, but things were a little bit in flux and they really needed some depth. And he stepped up and kind of did what you want your Friday night guy to do in that situation on a Saturday afternoon, as it turned out, which is give you some depth in the ball game. And I think that his finishes as he settles in that second and even that third time through the lineup has been much more efficient for whatever the reason is, whether he's finding the holes and it's working a little bit better. He kind of knows, okay, well now maybe we can go to a different pitch in this situation, try to mix it up. than maybe the first time through when everybody has a pitching plan. I mean, I think of Missouri's offense last season and, and like a series against Tennessee, not to go too far off the topic, but look at the lines for Burns and Beam and Dolander in that series. I mean, they weren't spotless. They were good, but they weren't spotless. Missouri had a plan against them. They maybe didn't succeed as much against the bullpen when it had to change every inning, but everybody's got a plan against your Friday night guy in this league. What you have to do is find ways to adjust from the plan and deviate from the plan to be effective. And I think that's what Murphy's done well, especially the last two outings, um, is do that against the other team to keep them guessing and keep them off their balance. And, And game one against Oklahoma State, I mean, there were two or three infield singles on a very hard surface that I think a lot of folks noticed when they were down there in Arlington. I think we heard that there's like coconut like shavings or something in that surface <laughs> underneath there. And if you don't water it all the time, it can get a little bit wonky and hard. And it, I mean, there was some Baltimore chop hits. So I, I don't think Murphy felt too bad about that, although he didn't help his own cause with the free passes. And, and if there's anything for Missouri starting pitching that probably could be cleaned up around the board, it would just be keeping the free passes away. I mean, they've got a team batting average against of like 206 they're they're top 25 or so in batting average against i think they're top 30 in whip as we speak today like they've been doing the job as a staff that they've been hoping to do and expected to do they just haven't always done it with some of the um dominance that we've seen from some other groups so far and i think they're still growing into that Coconut shavings would be interesting. You wonder if it if it gets hot enough on the surface, if it just smells like pina coladas or something. You know, that would be great. That would be really relaxing. I, I'd say that that's a sales point. You know, if the folks down there at Globe Life want to want to get some free agent and say, hey, you'll if it's a really bad game and it gets really hot and we open the roof, at least you'll think you're somewhere else. I think that's work. right. That's exactly right. It, it, yeah, Lord knows it gets warm enough there during the during the heat of the summer to uh, to make you feel that way. What, um, you know, setting aside this past week, I mean, we mentioned Newbeck has been so, so good. I think he was kind of a revelation for a lot of people opening weekend. And how could he not have been against, you know, with what he did against Oklahoma State in that relief outing? Um, What is your sense of of what the coaching staff wants to do with his role? Because on one hand, it's like, okay, this guy's a weekend guy. But on the other hand, and you, you know this, I'm not telling this for saying this for your sake, but in college baseball, there, there, there is a a very valuable role to be played for someone who can come in when your starter gives you two and a third to get you through, or to you know get you out of two jams in a weekend, all the, all that kind of stuff. So there is also probably a temptation to leave him in as a ace in the hole, if you will, in the bullpen. But what is your sense for their ultimate decision about how they want to use him? I think that decision is going to be dictated, Joe, by a couple of things, and the main one might be availability and health of the rest of the staff. Tony's a guy who's reliable. He is a guy who is durable. He is a guy who will never tell you no. 
He goes right after hitters, no matter the situation, no matter the plan. He has altered his mechanics a bit this year to get maybe more motion on his breaking stuff. And I think that's what held, you know, say Oklahoma State in check and how he was so efficient and effective against uh, Florida International. And, and, you know, maybe Texas Southern had a bit of a different plan or saw something against him, or maybe he just didn't have it that day. I mean, we're three weekends in. But for his role, and I think this is true not just of Newbeck, but any of Missouri's pitchers, Steve Beezer has the last few seasons essentially taken it like a more modern approach, which is, all right, if you're going to give me a certain amount of innings per weekend, how am I going to use those innings to help me win the most amount of ball games? And it really is what any manager should do. He's not saying, all right, well, this is Newbeck's spot because it's Newbeck's spot. It might be, well, if we piggyback him off of starter A, we give a different look, and therefore we think that will maximize our pitching plan's effectiveness to get the 27 outs that we need. Or, as it was this past week, it's, hey, we really need to start from you, Tony. Go out there and do it for us, who, by the way, got plenty of experience as a starter in the SEC and a bit of a baptism by fire a season ago. You know, the person that he just reminds me so much of, and fans across the SEC will remember this name, is TJ Sikama. They both come from the left-handed side. Sikama from the state of Iowa. Uh, not too much farther north from Newbeck from Minnesota. They both have the same sort of build that kind of come from that three-quarter arm slot. They use the breaking stuff all over the zone and they come right at you and they don't care who you are. It, it's so crazy, the spitting image. And Tony Newbeck might not realize he's TJ Sikama, but I look out there sometimes <laughs> and I go, man, that's Sikama all over again and how good he was at getting SEC guys out. He's still learning. He's still young, but he's a a guy with a great makeup and a great want to, and he's worked on his craft. And I can't wait to see where it takes him over the course of the season. Cause I, I agree with you. If, if he's a guy, no matter whether you feel comfortable throwing him as a starter that weekend, or if you get him in a good long relief spot and he takes up your middle five, if he's punching tickets, he's going to be a weapon that is formidable in the Southeastern conference. It's so funny. That's exactly what I was actually going to bring up next is he, you know, I'm not a savvy enough evaluator to to, to give you a, a great compare and contrast of the two pitchers, but I do remember they, they do have similar builds and, and kind of similar approaches. And also this is the exact same debate that they were having about TJ Sikama. <laughs> you know, it was, it was not different because it was a guy who could be electric in relatively long relief stints or short starts. And the question was, can he be electric for six or seven innings? And the, the answer was ultimately yes, but it took him some time to get there. They also remind me of each other in that I, I saw Newbeck for the first time last fall. So fall of 21 leading into 22. And I was like, this, this looks good. The stuff wasn't quite there though. It was like 87, 89, but it's like, he knew what he was doing and it's a good build. And, and I, I kind of felt that way about Sycamore early in his career where the stuff was, was okay. But you were like, you know, I, I think, the raw materials are here. And that's, that's how I kind of feel about Newbeck at this point is he might be a guy that as great as he could be this year, like he could end up being a monster as he kind of continues to hone his craft and the stuff comes along and his body continues to to develop and, and all that stuff, not to get ahead of ourselves, but I mean, that is kind of the sycamore trajectory. So I was, just, I was tickled. You brought him up because I've had the, the same thought. I mean, they, Again, the similarities are uncanny. They aren't the same pitcher, but they're so very close in how they try to attack the hitter and just how the stuff looks. You know, they're, they're, they're so similar in so many different ways. And to be honest, you know, we've told the story on our radio broadcast that uh, Tony Newbeck came and the Missouri staff didn't know if they'd get a lot from him. And he saw a velo jump and he could tick, you know, 92, 93 as a max instead of those uh, higher 80s. And they said, well, we might have something to work with here. And then they saw him on the mound and said, 
well, he's going after everybody and he's getting guys out. You know, the stuff plays and it really does with him. And I think that Missouri has several pitchers like that and ones that will still need to be proven in terms of freshmen and others who you're not going to know them when you first see them in a game in the Southeastern Conference this year, but you might know them by week nine or week 10 if things go the right way, because their stuff, there's just maybe you need to put it all together for some of those individuals. Let's talk about the offense a little bit leading up to the season. There was there was Luke Mann, and we kind of understood what he was and, and what he was going to be. But around him, it looked like the offense was largely going to have to be an offense that makes things happen, you know, plays the inside game, takes some chances on the bases, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, to what degree has the offense done that? What's kind of your assessment on, on how the offense has made its bones so far this season? There's absolutely an element of that. I can tell you it won them. Uh, their two games up in Arlington, absolutely, by being able to play some small ball, get on the bases, create some havoc, put pressure on defenses. I think that this offense, I mean, I guess it should for any offense, but this offense works best when there are at two base runners on. You know, not just because you've got a runner in scoring position when that happens, but because there's so many different ways that Missouri will try to create from that sort of position. I mean, runners on the corners and nobody out. Steve Beezer is thinking about four or five different ways about how do I want to get at least this one run in. They're an offense that's content with scoring one run per inning for nine innings and seeing where that leaves them. They don't feel that they have to rely on the long ball, even though it's something that's become a little bit more of their repertoire. Uh, They're more gap to gap. They try to preach gap to gap. Um, They're not sitting there waiting for something magical to happen. They understand that they have to grind and take an approach and lengthen at bats and try to get to some of the spots in a pitching staff, not just over the course of a game, but over a weekend where they feel they have some advantages. Now, with that being said, it's not like they don't have players who can't swing the bat. And man is the perfect example. What he found at the end of that Southeastern Conference season last year was special. And it's it's a ball leaves the bat differently type of swing from Luke Mann. And, and you don't see it necessarily. And I know that the pro evaluators don't necessarily see it in the stature or some of the other things, but dude just mashes. I mean, he hit a first pitch triple in their midweek uh, this week against Western Illinois, where on any other day at Taylor Stadium, the ball is out of the yard by 40 feet. He takes the first pitch of the game and puts it off the top of the wall and hits a triple. And it's like, dude, you you can take some time. Like you could take a pitch if you want to take a pitch. But he said, no, I saw a fastball. I'm going to crush it. And and he crushed one later in the game that was just hit too high on a day where the wind was blowing 15 miles an hour straight in his face. He's that type of player. He's a difference maker in the way that you'll see other SEC difference makers be. But uh, I think that Trevor Austin, you know, Trevor Austin doesn't really have bad days anymore. And he kind of showed it a little bit at the end of last season, was raising that batting average a little bit closer to 300. And he's a guy who has some pop, but it's not necessarily going to jump off the page at you, but he's just reliable and steady. I think that Hank Zeisler transferring from the Mountain West, I think there were fair questions about, does that translate to the SEC and to the University of Missouri? Well, we'll find out, but he went down to Florida International and hit a home run in each of the four games he played against the Panthers, and a couple of them were backside bombs. He has a very mature approach, and uh, he's out there to win ball games. He's not out there to impress anybody or make friends. He's out there to try to win the game, and, and a smart, intelligent player like that fits exactly in with what Steve Beezer is trying to do. Um, he'd really love it if he had one through nine, you know, kind of like Vanderbilt's team teams have had where everybody can be relied to get down the sacrifice bunt and everybody can be relied to execute the hit and run. And the Tigers, quite honestly, the past couple of years didn't do as much of that. Maybe they didn't have the personnel. I can't say, 
But I can say that this year we've seen more of it, and it's complemented the fact that they have had a greater power surge to this point in this season than they even had last season when they set their team's all-time high for home runs in a season with B.B. Corbats. I know everybody's offense was better last year. I think the average in the SEC, I try to run the numbers, and I'm not a math teacher. Steve Beezer was, so he trusts me <laughs> on numbers. I I don't believe it. But um, I think everybody did about 10% better roughly in the SEC, 8 to 10% better offensively, and Missouri did 20% better than their previous season. Granted, their previous season was a losing season and the worst one of Beezer's tenure, but they have made their incremental improvements to now – I feel like that offense plays and it travels. And will it travel in the SEC this year? We don't know yet, but I'm giving it a good shot. On that side of the ball, they've had to cycle through. And this is an early season thing. Every team does this. But Mizzou's been in a position where they've had a number of different players kind of come in out of the lineup. Some of that has been injury-related. I know Cam Chick came to the season a little nicked up or in the opening weekend. I think Ross Lovich, maybe for a short period of time, I'm, I'm probably missing one or two. But where does it feel on the position player side? Things are most unsettled. There are still open competitions. What do you, as we head towards SEC play, where are there kind of battles that you still see going on that will be determined as the season goes? Um, I think that some of it has been availability in the early season. You mentioned Chick, who has been, you know, not 100% throughout the course of the season and certainly has had a slow start to his uh, year with the stick, but has made some fantastic defensive plays and doesn't really show it. You know, he's got a nose for the ball. He's a Columbia born and Brett guy. He really wants to win for this Missouri team. And he's a difference maker. And the offense going forward will need to have his contributions. I think that they've had them, but it's just not been as effective at the plate so far. Lovich has come in and shown more of an all-fields approach than he did a season ago, which is really great for him. He already didn't strike out a whole lot and would hit the ball hard, but he's shown more of a willingness, I think, or just an ability to go to all fields, and it's helped him. But he's been a little bit hampered with a hamstring injury. He actually suffered. He was removed from the first inning of that TCU game. He wrapped himself an extra base hit, came into second, and kind of had a hamstring tweak, and then uh, just in, uh, I think, the last game against Texas Southern, he got hit by a pitch there. And so they held him out of the midweek. And, you know, his brother Jackson played right field and he didn't come to Missouri to play right field. He came to Missouri to play third base and Jackson looked fine out there. Then again, he had a wind at his back, so maybe it helped him out. You know, <laughs> there's going to be some flux when it comes to player availability there, I think, still in the early part of this year. Um, I think the second base is an open question just because Trevor Austin can play there. I mean, Trevor Austin is a shortstop by trade who has moved to the outfield and, and has played a capable left field all of last season for Missouri, but he's able to play second base and that gives Steve Beezer some flexibility. And if there's one thing we've seen in the time Steve Beezer has been in Columbia, Missouri, it's he's not afraid to throw out a different lineup game one, game two, game three of a series again, based on what he thinks is going to maximize his offense's ability for that day, whether it just somebody is a hot bat, wants to find them a spot in the lineup, or whatever the case may be. You know, it, it keeps it interesting when you come to the ballpark every day when you're not <laughs> entirely sure if you can write in one through nine the same way. And I think that keeps the players on their toes too. I certainly enjoy seeing it because it gives us more to talk about on the radio. But but second base and those those corner outfield spots is probably where there's more of a question. Zeisler has first base, Mann has third base. Justin Cologne, who uh, I know trusts his defense as much as anyone out there at shortstop, 
but has certainly come around with the bat and is hitting pretty well to start his season. Uh, JC actually hits 382 as we sit here today, which I think is a pleasant surprise in terms of the ones who have stepped up. It didn't get a lot of time behind Josh Day last season because Day was going to be a professional and an everyday guy. But JC's played a lot of shortstop, and I think more or less has that on lock. Um, Ty Wilmsmeyer in center field, I think, I mean, if we're going through the lineup, Wilmsmeyer, I think, should be considered one of the better defensive center fielders in the Southeastern Conference. And I don't say that lightly. I've seen the best in this league. Wilmsmeyer goes out there with abandon and plays up there with just about any of them. I'm really excited to see how he looks in the field again this season as he had a real hot start with the bat. He's locked in in center field. Catcher will be probably a rotation between uh, Dylan Leach and Trey Morris. And how cool was it for Dylan Leach to have a hog call <laughs> to help him walk off Texas? Uh, I, I said to Steve Fieser afterwards, uh, I said, you know, hey, they were hog calling Leach out there at the plate, you know, whether he was locked in and noticed or not. He said, you know, I'm not normally a woo pig guy, but I really liked it that night. It was pretty <laughs> cool. Kind of gave the Tigers a wind at their back as they beat Texas. But um, he's Leach is a guy who wants to win. <laughs> really badly. Trey Morris, the same way Columbia guy. I mean, it's, it's a team first sort of team and it's not going to look the same way as everybody as majestic perhaps as some of the offenses will, but they do grinding and that's what they've built their identity around. And it's what they're going to carry into the sec. Certainly a lot of positive indicators so far this season. You know, I, I think there was a lot of intrigue about, you know, what it would look like opening weekend. They passed that test and, and so, so far so good in terms of not, really stubbing their toe, which you allude to is for a team like Mizzou that just knows it's going to, you know, uh, you know, have a, a real uphill battle in the SEC and have to fight for everything, losing those early games that, that you shouldn't, quote unquote, and for listeners, I'm doing air quotes here, that you shouldn't lose can can be something that trips you up early and they've avoided that. So uh, like I said, a lot, of, a lot of positive indicators at this point in time. If you want to listen to Missouri Tiger baseball on the radio, or I guess, digitally what do we say uh, streaming would that be what you would streaming is uh, probably say? good yeah 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 matt michaels does a fantastic job along with his partner tex little who i whose name i have to think about when i say it because i always want to call him tex winter the like the legendary <laughs> creator of the triangle offense and basketball but it is tex little uh they they do a great job i always enjoy their their calls of, of the missouri games i listen to a lot of missouri games for that reason they do such a a great job with it matt i appreciate you joining me today well, I appreciate the kind words there, Joe. I'm going to ask Tex when I see him on Friday if he understands the principles of the triangle offense. <laughs> and I'm sure even if he doesn't, he's going to tell me he does. And we'll have some maybe some fun with that on the air. Who knows? Yeah, but thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Really appreciate it. And all the coverage you guys are doing for the entirety of the 14 of the league. I know when you guys set out to do this, you said you wanted to make sure you told the stories of teams that are easy to get forgotten. And I mean, let's be honest, Missouri is the most northern school in a southern conference. So it's sometimes easy to look the other way, but there are good things happening in Columbia. And I know a lot of excitement from uh, within the clubhouse and, and outside about what this league season has. So really appreciate you taking the time to have me on today. Yeah, happy to do it. I mean, that's that's the big mission statement of this of, of this endeavor is there are stories to be told at all 14 and Mark and I are just two people, but we're going to give it our darndest try. So <laughs> that's uh that's the goal anyway. So thanks again to Matt. Thanks to you listeners for listening to this episode. That is going to do it for this edition of the highway to Hoover podcast presented by Brock's gap brewing company in Hoover, Alabama. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to y'all soon.
Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom. And supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. That's next level supermom. From pneumonia to shingles, HPV, and more, get no-cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. $0 copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply.